Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle from the Table in Uniontown. Thanks for tuning into our podcast this week. We're happy you're here. This is the live recording from this Sunday's sermon. We're currently in our sermon series, A Living Faith, discussing the book of James. We hope that as you listen, you'll more deeply understand the truth of God's word and how much he loves you. Let's jump in. Good morning, church. This morning, first of all, I lost my iPad this week. It's somewhere, but in case this just looks strange. Um, This morning we're in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I'll give you a moment to turn there in your Bibles this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me. And if you don't have a Bible at all, or at least one that you can understand, Scott's telling me that he does have one, good for him, uh, or at least one you can understand, I'd be happy to put one in your hands after the service this morning, so come see me. That's James, 1, or James 3, 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, also, or able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And also consider, sh- and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. So a friend of mine is a pastor, and his congrega- in his congregation, the congregation that he now pastors, uh, it's not a church he planted, it was there before he got there, uh, with the previous pastor, this situation occurred. This well-meaning preacher uh, got in the pulpit, and he got, in the, in the, he got on the topic of divorce. And he began to expound upon the concept of divorce and how divorce is not the Lord's will, uh, but there are some exceptions for divorce, uh, where divorce is allowed by God, by God, and also how if you aren't, or how if you are divorced, it's not always your fault. There's, there could be situations where you're innocent in it, uh, but your partner's really messed things up, or perhaps uh, will, wants a divorce and, and will not consider reconciling, right? And, and this well-meaning pastor trying to really give an example to a small congregation for them to wrap their head around and understand this point, he said, you know, like in Pat's situation with the divorce between her and her ex-husband. This sentence was uttered on the exact Sunday that Pat had finally convinced her ex-husband to join her for a Sunday service. (laughs) There, There could be serious consequences to not taming the tongue can't there. 
In this morning's text, there's a clear shift in focus. James is now moving on from the discussion of riches and poverty to a new topic, which is wisdom and obedience, and he's specifically going to talk about those things in terms of our speech, taming the tongue. So this passage is not about teachers per se, but it does start by talking about teachers because teachers are people who speak a lot. Teaching in this culture was strictly oral pretty much, uh, as is much teaching now, though of course in our culture we also have teaching that's done by the way of millions of books that we have at our disposal as well. But, but teachers speak a lot, and their speech, especially Christian teachers, their speech is of high consequence, especially if you agree with the statement that what you believe about Jesus is, or what you believe about who Jesus is, is the most important thing about you. And I'm here as a teacher trying to tell you who Jesus is and and what his life and his death and his resurrection, what those things mean for you. I need to take speech very seriously in this situation. To mislead you would be a grave sin. But I so often in my teaching go back to the gospel. I weakly go back to the gospel so so that I can know and you can know the teaching is centered around the deepest truth of Scripture. But, but this passage, it's not about teachers entirely. The, the, the crux of the passage is not about teachers. It's about speech. James just leads off with this bit about teachers uh, to make the point that what you say is important. And, and while teachers' speech, because of its content and influence, will be very heavily scrutinized, Lord have mercy, your speech matters greatly too, as we will see. We're reminded of James' warning in the first chapter of this letter. Be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. That's, that's a relieving thing to hear somebody who's writing scripture say, right? This guy's writing a book of the Bible, and, and he's including himself when he says, we all stumble in many ways. Again, I say this a lot, but I, I think it's true and it's important. The Bible is utterly realistic about human beings. We all stumble in many ways. You should expect that you will stumble in many ways, and yet you should fight sin like your life depends on it because you love Jesus. But if anyone does not stumble in what they say, then that person is mature. Easy, right? If you can control your mouth, you can control your whole body. This reminds us of James 1.4, where maturity is mentioned previously, where he says, let endurance have its full effect so that you might be mature and complete lacking nothing. James uses the same word he's, because he's tied together the idea that if you've, if you've had your faith tested and been through things, you've developed endurance, and endurance then having its full effect will lead you to maturity. And maturity is also descriptor of the one who can control their tongue. Does James mean to imply here that, that you really start to gain control of your tongue the more you go through things? The more you have life experiences, the more you've endured the more you've walked through those things the right way, that you might begin to like gain grasp over the things you say. See, age does not equal maturity, as you have undoubtedly met an old fool or two in your day who, who loses their temper or in other ways fails to control their tongue. Age does not equal maturity, but experience does pave the way for maturity. I am not old, but I'm no longer just simply young anymore either. And I hear things that young people say, and sometimes I think, they shouldn't have said that. And I also think, but they're young, 
They're mature. They haven't experienced some things yet in life that will give them a more thoughtful way of speaking. Some of the most thoughtful people, it is no surprise, are people who have been through a lot in life and come out on the other end gracefully. If you endure with Jesus, you will gain maturity, and I think it includes the way that you speak. Verse 3, now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. It's in controlling the tongue first that the whole animal is turned. The idea is paralleled again in James 1.26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his, religious is, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. The CSB translates it as controlling the tongue, but the idea here is this imagery of controlling a horse bridling the tongue is a better word. Controlling the way the tongue will go. By the way, this isn't about like, saying bad words, right? Okay, like, I think that's important. If you don't have control over saying offensive language all the time, then yeah, that's probably going to hurt the perception of you and your witness to who Jesus is in our culture. But, but that's not really the idea here. Speech is so much bigger that, than that. And, and for a long time, Christians have prided, prided themselves on like saying, oh, fiddlesticks or something when they like stub their toe. yeah. All the while, like, gossiping like crazy, and at the same time somehow feeling like they've mastered their tongue, and that is just not the case. You may have never dropped an F-bomb and still might need to very much heed James's warning this morning. He continues this idea that, that while the tongue is small, it's still of huge consequence for your life and your discipleship to Jesus. He says, and consider ships, though they're very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Does the phrase large and driven by fierce winds sound familiar? James 1.6, but the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. James keeps calling back to his opening chapter here, at very least borrowing the language and the imagery from it. And his point is hard to miss. The tongue is the hardest thing to control. If you can control the tongue, then you can control the lesser things. Think about this. We, we normalize gossip and demonize some other sins. I'm not saying one sin isn't graver than the other, so please don't hear that. But I also think we normalize the thing that is the most common by making ourselves feel better by saying, well, at least I don't do this. We normalize the sins that we all commit, and in doing so, we often permit them. And so James is saying we need to get a hold of our speech, and yet you're going to talk after this service. You're going to talk to the people around you. You're going to have lunch together. You're going to sit by some people, and you're going to say words. Speech is, in part, so hard to rein in because we do so much of it. You're going to make decisions about what to say. Will I tear down or will I, will I build up? Will I be kind or will I be harsh? Will I be critical? Will, will I share secrets because, you know, you know um, Jake's my bestie and I just have to spill the tea as the kids are saying. That's what the kids are saying, right? Or, or will I be honest and trustworthy, kind, speaking life over people instead of death and harshness? When someone slights me, will I give them the benefit of the doubt? When someone says something annoying, will I bless them? You're going to say a lot of words today. What kind of words will they be? 
The winds are swirling around you and even a large ship can be overpowered by them unless you have control of the rudder. Your tongue is the rudder of the ship that is your whole person. Will you be overtaken or will you be able to steer in the direction that you want your life to go? Many people have been brought down by the things that they've said. The tongue isn't just what you say out loud anymore. The tongue has this extension to it that is the keyboard. What will you type? What will you share on X or Facebook? Those things are now part of your speech and those things live on forever. How many politicians or athletes have said something on Twitter in 2009 and it's come back to haunt them later on? You have to ask the Holy Spirit to sanctify your speech. You have to take control of the rudder. Like a rudder, the tongue is just this small part, the small part of you, like kind of in the percentage of your overall body. The tongue is such a small part, even if you're like Gene Simmons or whatever. He's the guy with the long tongue, right? Gene Simmons, yeah. yeah. Still, still small compared to the whole person. Yet that is no matter. A small spark can set a whole forest ablaze and your tongue is a fire, James says. There have been so many stories where a camper does something wrong and destroys acres and acres of land with a wildfire. Keep a candle lit or have an appliance spark. Watch an enormous house and all of its contents engulfed and destroyed. So it is with your words. One small comment, one destructive word. What effect could it have on a life? What effect could it have on a reputation? There are many stories of a kid that heard one word spoken over them and it carried with them their whole life. Stupid or fat or ugly or weird. Just some small word spoken over them. The longest of those words is six letters. Takes less than a second to say. Small in the grand scheme of things. Yet it can light a life on fire. It can cause destruction. It can bring a person to use drugs, commit suicide, run away. It can cause them to take those words from the mouth of a sinful person and somehow believe that it's absolutely undeniably true about them and perhaps that even God must think the same thing about them. Your words matter. Words are communal. They matter because they go from one person to another. They either build someone up or they hurt them. And so our words shouldn't be flippant. Even, even sarcasm, something that we're very fluent in in our culture, even sarcasm eventually wears people down. If all you do is sarcastically go back and forth with your friends and you never build them up, I promise you, you might just think that's the relationship you have and it is all good, but they will eventually begin to take that sarcasm as your real thoughts. What you say matters. What you say matters here. In a small church like this, one person can honestly sink the whole ship. One person can wreak havoc. One person gossiping or lying or complaining can do enormous damage. And so the church is counting on you and you and you and you and me to take James' warning to heart. The tongue A world of unrighteousness is placed among our members and it stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. It's a whole world of unrighteousness in your mouth. Even if you never sin with your eyes or your hands, your tongue itself is enough to stain the whole body and set the course of your life on fire with the fires of hell itself. You might think, James, who hurt you? This is a serious problem. And it's funny because you sometimes, as a pastor, you come up here and you wonder if you're saying 
anything relatable on any given morning. But today is not that day. Whether I'm communicating well or I'm funny or charming or interesting is a whole different issue. But one thing for sure is that this is an issue that you are dealing with and you're dealing with it today. And if it's somehow not an issue that you're causing, if you somehow have your tongue under control, good for you. We can have you teach a a, a class here. Um, It's at least an issue that you've suffered from. It's perhaps one where you need to confront someone else's sin in your life. You need to stop gossip by asking someone else to stop gossiping to you. Some of the people that I know that are, that are viewed as, as very holy have a severe gossip problem, and it shouldn't be looked at as a minor sin. What sin is minor? Proverbs says not to associate with a gossip. Jesus died so that you might not face destruction for your gossip. It's not minor. It's not cute. It's not funny. We shouldn't overlook it. As, as humans, it says we've subdued every animal, large animals, dangerous animals. I, I don't totally know what the totality of that looked like in the first century. It says they've subdu- subdued them all. I know that they at least kind of had lions under their control in the Colosseum, right? But it says we can subdue these large animals, but this pesky issue of the tongue, we just cannot figure it out. And it's a frustrating truth because it has caused hurt in your life and mine, whether it be because you didn't control your speech or because someone else didn't control it. No one can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This might feel repetitive to you this morning, but the truth is you repeat what is important. And James has like sliced this topic up 10 different ways in this passage for you to understand that this is one of the largest problems facing human beings. And now James, at the end of this passage, gets, gets to the root issue with the tongue here at the end. What's the big problem with the tongue? Yes, it's sin. Yes, it hurts people. But what's his main beef with the tongue? With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, And with it, we curse people who are made in God's image. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. So what's the whole crux of the issue? It's duplicity, inconsistency, double-mindedness. We become people who speak out of both sides of our mouth, is one way to put it. We come here on one Sunday, hands raised, come thou fount of every, or maybe not hands raised for most of us in here, it's more like come thou fount of every, if you're like me at least, right? But either way, we come here and we sing praises to God. We bless God. We tell him all the things about himself that are good and that we love about him. We express that he's good and worthy of honor and praise. Then the music stops The service ends, and while we just blessed God, we use the same mouth to curse people. The slow slow waitress at the restaurant we go to after church, hopefully not today since you're eating here. The person driving you crazy on the road, your in-laws, your siblings, your neighbors, we curse those people. And they're not just people, because people aren't just people. People are made in God's image. New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg says, says this about it. James' disgust is found on the, founded on the self-defeating idea of cursing someone made in the image of God. This implies derivatively that human beings, despite the fall, retain vestiges of God's image. And so to curse a fellow human, whether or not Christian, is to curse the reflection of the divine. But James' main concern involves how the double-mindedness that his entire epistle combats transposes itself into double 
double-tonguedness. You cannot praise God and curse his reflection in another human being. You can't do that in the same sentence. You can't do that out of the same mouth. It makes no sense. And that person that you hate the most, that person that hurt you the most, the person that you think is the most wicked, the person you think deserves the worst things in life, the person you've made a monster of in your own mind, and I have a few of them. Those people, they're made in God's image. If you're pro-God, you are pro-people, pro-all people, period. Doesn't mean you overlook their flaws, doesn't mean you don't want justice, doesn't mean you don't care that they hurt you or hurt other people. It does mean you don't slander. It does mean you don't gossip. It does mean you don't curse them. Out of your mouth should come none of those things. James ends the section with this. He says, does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. What does he mean here? Well, the tongue isn't the place where your words come from. They come from somewhere deeper within you. They are what comes out from inside of you. The tongue is just sort of the method of delivery, right? Jesus famously said in Luke's, Luke 6, 45, a good person int- produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Jesus knew it. The mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. The things that come out of your mouth, they didn't originate in your mouth. They originated from deep inside of you, from inside your heart. You want to fix your speech? Ask Jesus to fix your heart. You want to have speech that honors God? Don't be duplicitous. Don't worship God in one moment and then curse people made in his image the next. It's not behavior that honors God. Just as figs can't come off of a plant made to bear olives and olives can't grow from a fig tree, just as evil speech cannot come from a clean heart. The tongue is the problem, but it finds its source in your heart. So fix the heart problem and you may solve the speech problem as well. Michelle, you can come up. So this morning we have a lot to process together, I think. Where, where is it that you're missing the mark with your speech? There are all sorts of ways. Is your speech vulgar? Is it hateful? Is it boastful? Are you guilty of the socially acceptable sin of gossip where we technically know it's wrong, but who cares because everyone does it? This morning I, I want us to come into communion in a place of self-reflection before God because this is so important and such a grave issue Let's begin to ask Jesus where we're guilty of these sins. If he could point out the places in our hearts where these sins are are prevalent. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Having the ability to speak is a grave responsibility and shouldn't be taken lightly. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gave thanks, and then he took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, again giving thanks. He said, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. One thing I desperately miss from the communion I grew up taking is the pastor having the bread in his hands. It's just, it's just not the way we do it here. But he would have the bread in his hands, and he would break a piece off, and he would look me in the eye, and he would say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then there would be somebody from the congregation with a a cup 
uh, of wine ready to pour it into a little cup. And, and he would look at me and he would say, Joey, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Those people would speak life over me in those moments. They would say my name, this sacrifice, Joey, it's for you. Even if only you came up to take it today, Jesus did this for you. Jesus spoke life over us and we get to follow his lead in speaking life over other people as well. And so as we take communion this morning, um, if, you want, if you take communion with your family or something, if you want to try it, feel free to, have, to, when somebody picks up the bread or you could hand it to him, say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then when they dip it in the, ju- in the juice, you could say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. But either way, I would urge you to ask the Father who knows your heart to gently point out the ways that you are yet to master your tongue. My friend Joe is going to be available over here to pray for you if you need somebody to come alongside you and pray for you this morning. Communion is available towards the back on my left. Gluten-free communion available towards the back on my right. We take communion every week by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup and remembering the things that Jesus has done for us. I'm going to pray, and then you're free to take communion whenever you're ready. Father, thank you for week after week just being so faithful to show up here and reveal yourself to us um, through your word and through worship and God, this topic this morning of, of our speech is just such an obvious, such an obvious problem. It takes little more than clicking on the Facebook app on your phone to see people acting unwise with their speech. Go to a restaurant, overhear a conversation, you'll hear plenty of people saying things that, that they shouldn't. Or if we could roll back the tape of our week and the things we've said, it's, it's terrifying to think of how many times we would hear things that we shouldn't have said. Help us to be slow to speak. Give us wisdom with our speech. Help us to be okay with saying nothing sometimes when that's the wisest route. God, fix our hearts, our sinful hearts, because it's out of them that the mouth speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to our Sunday service. If you're interested in joining us in the future, you can find us at 17766 Cleveland Avenue Northwest on Sunday mornings at 10. Additionally, we host a meal every first and third Sunday after service in order to fellowship with one another. Visit aseatforyou.org for more information. We hope you'll join us next week. Go in peace.